Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, and this is Phil Stevens here. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild, and USSF, and a bunch of other stuff. So. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. <clears throat> I teach for Globe University, like lifting heavy stuff, and director of education for the Mindset Performance Institute. Uh, this is Drill Barber. I own CrossFit Olathe. Um, I have a degree in exercise physiology, uh, background in weightlifting, more so, more specific than anything else, but I guess I train virtually every aspect now but all around good guy that is uh that's like a, a you're a you're a one of a kind you're a crossfit owner that has a degree yeah <laughs> well, i'm supportive of that i don't know yeah. all right we've got some questions uh from listeners from just different sources email facebook whatever uh and then we're going to talk with jarell we asked jarell to come on because i I think one of the favorite parts of a lot of people at the strength camp in Topeka recently was some of the drills that he was doing to introduce them to Olympic lifts. And when I mentioned it on a recent show, uh, we actually had some people respond almost immediately and said, yes, please, you know, starting Olympic lifts. That sounds fun. Uh, So before we do that, though, a couple of listener questions. Uh, Dr. Nelson, I know you've seen this from the, this listener um, herself, and actually she's a not just a listener, she's one of the conference goers that attends a lot of these uh, scientific meetings with uh, Mike and I, but uh, this, this was addressed to me, but it's about Mike. It says, um, hey, Dr. L, I see that Mike Nelson has started up a new institute and developed a, quote, certified mindset specialist, close quote, program with some colleagues. What are your thoughts given the fact that it's so new? In other words, how long does it take for these types of institutes or programs or certifications to become recognized and reputable, per se? I know this is certainly something that a number of grad students I know would be interested in if it would indeed provide substantial leverage in terms of uh, qualifications on a job search. So what do you think, Mike? Yeah, so uh, she's referring to the Mindset Performance Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm helping more on the neurology research side with uh, Brian Grasso and Kerry Campbell. And it is relatively new. I mean, we officially started only about four months ago. Uh, it's based on stuff Brian's been doing for quite a while before, um, stuff that I've been doing before. Kerry's uh, actually a licensed counselor. So it's not like we just decided that, ooh, mindset's cool. We're just going to start this and don't really have any background in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's correct that in sort of the fitness world, I guess you could say, in terms of certifications, and you guys have talked about this before, anyone can pretty much start anything. You know, there's no real regulation, either yay or nay. So I always look at what is the background of the people that are involved, um, what have they done, you know, in that area and that type of thing before. And then I look at, you know, sort of the people that have gone through and what is, you know, sort of their thoughts and experience based on that. 
Um, so that's generally how I sort of, uh, I guess, would, would grade things and that type of thing. Um, the reason I decided to help with it is because I did a lot of, obviously, exercise phys stuff. Started working with clients several years ago, and I was under the kind of silly impression to anyone who's worked with clients that, well, this is going to be relatively easy, right? I mean, I, you know, I know some exercise stuff. I know some nutrition stuff. I'll tell them to do this. Oh, you're eating a sleeve of Oreos a day? Stop eating the Oreos, right? How hard is this? And what you soon realize is that it's much more complicated than that. And so for several years, I was kind of kicking myself thinking I should have been more of a, a psychology major instead of an exercise physiology major. So that's kind of the main reason that uh, actually Brian approached me a couple of years ago about this. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually pretty interesting. So I went back and looked at what is sort of the <clears throat> underlying neurology of it. So how does your brain get information? How much of that is conscious versus you know subconscious? And then we kind of put together different ways that's actually useful um, to get people over those things. Because I think, unfortunately, the, the fitness world has done a really good job of marketing to people who already have a good mindset. So they'll see like a little motivational post or something on Facebook. And that actually works for them. They'll, you know, they'll be a little more motivated by it. Just quote unquote the the average person who's not quite at that stage yet. I actually think we're kind of pushing a lot of people um, away. We're not really helping them with um, with where they're at and that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually gave a talk at the American Society of Exercise Phys meeting a few years ago, and it was about counseling for exercise physiologists, right? Because yeah. I see the very similar thing. Like in my seniors. Uh, they're taught to impart information as if that will cause life change. And, exactly. You know, th so I make them do stuff like at least on a Likert scale, ask someone mm -hmm. what's their readiness to change. You know, that whole kind of Prochaska thing. You know, there are yep. models out there about assessing someone's confidence to change or readiness. For example, if if we give nutrition advice in the person they their spouse doesn't care and has no support. They have no skills in the kitchen. They don't know what to buy at the grocery store. You can't just tell them to eat certain things and pretend that's going to be a behavior change. Yeah. You know, so I think there's a real need for that kind of stuff. I don't want to make this sound like an advertisement for you, Mike, but there's <laughs> a real, there is a real need for that stuff. And I mean, Phil, you and Jarell, you probably see that too with the training side of thing. You can't just impart knowledge and expect someone mm -hmm. to successfully follow up on that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think he made a good point where, or Mike said, having a degree in psychology versus actual like exercise physiology being more important. Like I'd say, the biggest percentage of my job is psychology related. <laughs> not oh yeah, it, yep. yeah. It's not you know, especially in a in a situation where it's a general practice. Like we have you know everyone coming. I don't have a ton of like elite athletes or anything like that. So. That's probably the the bigger thing is, is understanding a little bit of psychology and behavioral change is probably the bigger part of my job than anything else. And I've kind of had to learn on the fly with that stuff. So it's uh it certainly as a coach would have been a, a a very very good certification or unique opportunity to get involved with something like that out of the start. So mm -hmm. yeah, I would have appreciated that. But yeah. Okay, I've got one other here. Let's see. Uh, Fortress got an email recently. Let me pan through this. All right, so this is probably a better one for you, Phil, but really for anybody, of course. Uh, hey, guys, just started listening to the show and quickly became a fan. My name, 
uh, is Mike, and I started lifting about a year ago. I started pretty obese, 340-plus, and now I'm down to 240 and Mm. still quite a bit of body fat to cut. Been doing IF and playing with low carbs uh, and fasting diets around my training. Got lots of education from YouTube, the Internet, etc., Uh, So I'm reaching out on a question that I haven't really gotten a good answer. My question is this. I still am doing the starting strength, the Ripito program, and focus on squat, bench, overhead press, deadlift. Sometimes I throw in accessory work and afterward, you know, post-exercise cardio, uh, but mostly lifting heavy. I got myself a nice real powerlifting belt and saw my gains increase a ton. As of recently, I dropped weight and tried training without the belt. Will I become stronger in the long run by training without the belt, or should I continue to use my belt for my working sets uh, and lift heavier weight? What is better? Thanks, Mike. It depends. What do you want to do? Um, if, uh, if he's an athlete that can't use a belt in whatever he competes in, then I'd say, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, from what I've seen, generally, like, for the longest time, I never wore a belt. I didn't wear a belt until my first powerlifting competition. And I put a belt on, and I could do more. Um, but since then, I've worn a belt a lot, and my belted versus non-belted lifts have moved up linearly, pretty much. So, mm-hmm. like, let's say if, I, if my squat goes from 405 to 505 with a belt, generally my unbelted squat follows along, too. You know, it's not going to turn you just weak. From, from wearing a belt. Yeah. Um, what I would do, though, is I try and get people to um, slowly raise up. Let's say let's say you're a 500-pound squatter. We would do our warm-ups without a belt up to a certain point. Let's say you put your belt on at 365. And as you your squat then increases to 550, now maybe we don't put on the belt till 405. You know, so you're still you're doing both. Um you know, I really like, like for me, it depends day to day on how I'm feeling, but you know, I'll warm up to 315 or 405 and I'll do a set there and then I'll do that same weight again with my belt on so I can feel the difference. And then I work up to my working sets. So, but I think there's a place for, for non-belted training. I mean, I, I think, yeah, it does. I think the reason I, I like, I still deadlift with no belt. And I think a big reason I have a really strong back is, is that. It teaches you how to brace your core in a different way. Um, but I don't – I think a belt can – it's not going to make you weak. So, I mean, I'd say keep running with your belt if you're just looking to get, get stronger. I mean, if used correctly, you're going to be engaging against the belt anyways. So, I don't know. That, that's my take on it. That's but. similar to what Fortress actually said. Fortress said, I suggest not using a belt with your light <laughs> warm-up sets, but basically when you go heavier, the psychological and physical advantage could help. Yeah, I've seen people yeah. use their belt as like a whoopee, like anything over the bar. <laughs> it's like, I need my belt. And it's their, it's their comfort zone. And, I mean, if it's that for you, then I'd say ditch it for a while. And there's nothing wrong with doing some some beltless cycles. You know, hey, I'm going to go four weeks without a belt. And then I'm going to go put it back on and see what I can do. And, it, like, we talked about this, me and Jarrell, the, the other day. And it's, I mean, it can be just another way to get a PR. And if you're having a bad day. You know, maybe ditch the belt and turn it into a good day by beating, you know, your best beltless if it's considerably lower. You know, it just gives you another benchmark to, to work with. All right. Well, the one thing I only thing I would add is he said starting strength, right? So eventually they'll probably move into like the Texas method. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, do your heavy day, the the heavy set of five on Friday or whatever with the belt, and then do your volume on that Monday without it. Mm-hmm. And maybe take some weight off the volume and then kind of work up to doing heavier fives with without the belt. But if you're a powerlifter, wear a belt. Yep. You're going to go against competitors who are going to be wearing belts, so learn how to wear the belt. Yeah. But don't don't feel like obligated to having to use a belt all the time. Yeah. Right. You know, on the flip side too, um I think it's been overstated a lot. You know, people will say if you have a belt, it's going to make your core weak. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't wear a belt, you know. I I've always thought that was overstated. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I tend to leave a belt on, not cinched down really tight, but almost regardless of what I'm doing, I've got a belt handy or around. Uh, you know, and I'll cinch it down for stuff, obviously, like squats or overhead pressing and that sort of thing. But I just think it's been way overstated. People will say, oh, oh yeah. you'll ne- you won't use any of your core. And, you know what I mean? You're going to be weak if you wear a belt. And I don't know. I just and think that gets overstated. That's the thing. And I think belts are misconstrued and people think of them as a back support. And I really don't think of them as a back support at all. When I put on a belt, I'm pushing hard against it in the front, not in the, not in the back. You know, it gives me something to engage against. And, yeah, it helps. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say a belt is not an aid. It is. It it allows you to engage harder and become tighter than you could without one. Um, It is a support. Um, But like Darrell was saying, I mean, if you're looking to power lift, uh, you're going to wear one. I mean, unless you just want to be weird. But I I don't know. If you're squatting, if you're squatting 700, 800 pounds, with a belt, your your freaking core is strong. You know, you can't you can't just throw on a belt. No, I'm going to do 700. You know, it's not like that. You know, you're going to have a strong core, um, just to be able to to do that. So, yeah. uh, what about you, Doctor Nelson? Any thoughts about belts and overuse of belts? Yeah, just two comments. I agree with you guys that I the first question I always ask people is, what is your goal, right? Yeah. So if you're going to be a power lifter, yeah, at some point you're probably going to want to use a belt. Um, yep. In my case, and most of my other sort of main goals outside of lifting, kiteboarding, and whatever, don't involve a belt. So mm-hmm. pretty much all my lifts, I don't use it. I may add one, you know, later this year and that type of thing possibly. But my main goals that I want transfer to don't involve the belt. So I think it's uh, depends on your goal. And last thing too, like Phil was saying, um, whether you use a belt or don't use a belt, uh, spend some time to make sure to know how to brace uh, properly and that type of thing. Um, so that's one thing I've been working on this year of when you're inhaling, you know, air into your belly, so to speak, try to make sure you inhale posteriorly also. So you want to inflate basically all the way around and then you basically want to hold that um, tight. So a lot of people are very good at just inflating the front part of their body and not the, the back also. And that takes a little bit of time and, and practice too. So making sure you know how to use uh, that without a belt and then Phil was saying, make sure you know how to do the technique with the belt. Mm-hmm. Right on. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go to break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, starting Olympic lifts, some drills and some of the things that uh, Jarrell did at the uh, strength camp recently that were very popular, and uh, we'll learn a bit about the Olympic lifts. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, if you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. 
And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for sixty nine U.S. dollars. So that's thirty one percent off the ninety nine ninety five uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. Sixty nine dollars. I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it uh, lower down the page. They have one hundred and eighty day rentals and one year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Iron Radio listeners are a unique bunch. You value both in-the-trenches skills and the research and evidence that informs it. That's why, as a listener-supported show, we occasionally do funds drives to keep everything free and advancing. Did you know your donations at www.ironradio.org pay for web servers? They allow for small sponsorships of gifted competitors or students and even partly fund research on our specific population. That's what we're asking for during the spring and early summer funds drive. Dr. Lowry, that's me, and some students are on the verge of some key discoveries involving caffeine and explosive lifts, but we need help to get the message out. If you value the authenticity, expertise, and real progress Iron Radio provides, please consider a donation. Any amount is appreciated, but if you could put forward $25 or more and email robertfortney at hotmail.com about it, We'll send you some behind-the-scenes audio lab notes that were recorded during data collection. They offer true insight into what research is like on barbell athletes. Thank you for considering it. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. Iron Radio, we've got Dr. Mike T. Nelson got coach Phil Stevens and we've got Jarrell who is an Olympic lifting expert and this is really the crux of this right is we want to talk about how do you get started in this because a lot of people are curious uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show I just mentioned it and I had 
I don't know, at least four or five people almost immediately say, yes, please have him, you know, if you could have him explain to us us how we get even started with this sort of thing. Because I can tell you, a lot of the guys are out on the floor at the strength camp. They, a common comment from them was that they felt like they were unlearning what they had learned. You know, like they're used to being tight in powerlifting and there's a time to be loose with the Olympic lifts, you know, and and one of the things that impressed me was, of course, when you were showing everybody stuff with the PVC pipe and you were doing some of those drills where they were trying to push each other over. And so let's start with that. Uh, maybe you can explain to listeners why you start off people, why you introduce people the way you do, and then what do you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so the the first – and this is kind of recently switched in my, in my mind is – First thing is position, right? So we have to be able to get into the positions in weightlifting um, on the pole, making sure you can find the hamstrings. Most people uh, would consider that kind of like an RDL-style position, hamstrings loaded, uh, not a ton of core tension, but enough, and obviously overhead squat and front squat. So we'd really want to do that first, but the two biggest keys in weightlifting are – basically rhythm or tempo and balance, right? So the, the first drill I had them do after we did the warm up was grab a partner and then you kind of try to push each other over in the squat position. And this is just because, I mean, you're going to jump under the bar, not literally jump, but you're going to get under the bar quickly into that squat position with the bar overhead or on the shoulders. And the first thing you need to be is balanced at that position and like very, very comfortable. All right, so that little sumo drill, it just helps people kind of treat the squat not such in a linear path, like not straightforward. So you, you have to kind of shift your weight back and forth. You get very good at kind of learning to kind of move your weight around. So and that's kind of the first piece is understanding that weightlifting is pretty dynamic, so we always focus on balance and tempo first. And then after that, the first thing that's going to be a problem for people is like when they're starting the Olympic lifts is their brain more than anything. It's because they don't understand how to just like, just go because you have to do the movements over and over and over. So we almost do it like, I guess like a conditioning workout almost maybe where we have someone start the snatch in the hip, like set the bar up in the hip, just bend the knees, catching the squat. And we do that over and over for, high reps even 10 to 15 reps at a time with an empty bar or pvc pipe to start just because if you have movement deficiencies we don't want to throw any weight on that it's like stack weight on top of dysfunction is not necessarily a, a good thing for us to do but we'll we'll kind of work around that most people can get under a bar but they don't need to be thinking about anything with added weight until they are solid in the positions with an empty bar for thousands of reps weeks or months is ideal especially if you're older if you're you know kids are a little bit different but if you're older it's it's kind of the older you are when you start it's tougher to learn these these newer tricks so mm-hmm. we have to kind of step back and turn your brain off and get you catching in the right position and like hitting the right positions constantly over and over before we ever think all right well now it's time to snatch Right, yeah. So, Phil, let me ask you then. I mean, being a, a pretty high-end powerlifter, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, At what point were you introduced to the Olympic lifts, and what was your experience there? My experience with – I was introduced – jeez, how many years ago is now? About eight years ago. Um, And I was lucky in that, you know, I was introduced to it in a a great atmosphere. So I was around, uh, you know, Sarah Robles and her coach. And uh, so Sarah Robles is an Olympian for Mm – the United States. So, you know, I was able to just sit back and watch a lot of it. And then, you know, I, I was able to, this is before my hip went out. So I, I was never great at it, but you know, I was able to use it and practice it and see how it, it helped my lifting. Um, and then just learned as much as I could began coaching it because it's, it's a fun sport to, it's a fun sport to coach. Um, I'm not going to say more than powerlifting cause I like them both, but they're totally different. Um, Olympic lifting can be the most, annoying sport ever <laughs> you know you will literally spend tons and tons of time at lighter weights just trying to make this thing right whereas like a deadlift and a squat i'm not saying they're easy but there's there's room for error more room for error than there is in say a snatch mm-hmm. um like usually if you miss a deadlift i mean a lot of times it's just because there's there's two and a half pounds too much on the bar Whereas an Olympic lift, you might be more than strong enough to do the, the snatch you're, you're attempting, but you're a quarter inch out in front, and that's why you miss. So it's not like a grinding issue. It's not a pure strength issue usually. It's, you know, your technique was off by uh, some minuscule amount that caused you to, to miss the lift. You know, so. I was just hearing a strength uh, coach. I had a guest lecturer come to my uh, strength <clears throat> conditioning class, and he was, he was actually talking about powerlifting, but I see this very true with Olympic lifting. And I mean, you guys can disagree if you want, because I'm no expert in Olympic lifting, of course. But mm-hmm. he said, I can be weaker than somebody I'm competing against. But if my te- technique is better, yes. I move more weight. And the weight on the bar makes me win. I win. Yeah. I beat him. You know. Yes. And that's the thing. I mean, they call the power lifts the slow lifts. And I always argue they're not slow. They're, they're only slow because they're heavy. But there is much more time in, say, a squat. Like, if I get a quarter inch out of position in a squat, I have time to make that adjustment during the lift. If you get a quarter inch out in a snatch, there's no time for adjustment. I mean, the lift takes fractions of a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. There is not that time to make an on-the-fly on the adjustment. You just screwed up. Okay, lift's done. You missed. So, yeah. Right. Usually we, I mean, that's that's certainly true, and strength is, is a component of weightlifting, but, I mean, the even the bigger components are almost speed, in mm-hmm. rhythm tempo so you'll see that and like and it's obviously between the the certain classes of lifters like two lifters squat 500 but one's been doing the olympic lifts for eight years the other's been doing it for four the one who's been doing it the longest is probably gonna win yeah yeah that makes sense to me yeah and i mean like you're talking about that. i mean strength is <laughs> look look at all the countries we're getting beaten by you know we're generally not getting beaten by technique we're getting beaten by strength but that's because their freaking athletes are are as technical as ours, but stronger as well. So right, <laughs> all things strength equal. comes into play at the very high level. You know, at the early level, it's it's mostly all technique. You know, so you know in that first year or two, it's who has better technique. Okay, he's going to win. You know, he only right. squats three fifteen, and the other dude squats four hundred five. But the other the four hundred five guy's technique is crap, so he just lost. So. Mm-hmm. No, makes sense to me. I'll tell you, I see the more I'm educated, and I know so little about them, but the more I'm educated about the Olympic lifts, I see so many parallels with martial arts. You know, repetition, 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 thousands of repetitions for skill acquisition. You know, and the neat thing with the Olympic lifts, it seems like to me, like you guys were saying, is that while you're doing these thousands of reps, 
again, similarly to a lot of martial arts, you're conditioning your body. But the the focus is really skill acquisition, I think. You know what I mean? It's the conditioning stuff and the sweat that you work up because you really do even with almost no weight, you know, or even just a PVC bar. Um, to me, you get that conditioning stuff. Uh, but I don't know. In a lot of ways, it's the skill acquisition, acquisition that you're really after. You know what I mean? Getting smooth and getting in the groove and learning how it fits your body and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, actually um... – you know, I went to a seminar not too long ago with uh, some of the Chinese world lifters um, or some of their world record holders or whatever. They, It's almost like they separate the Olympic lifts from strength building. So they want you to be good lifts in terms of like they want, they want them to look pretty and perfect and incredibly balanced. But then they almost separate it completely from the strength. It's not... Like we want you to squat heavy and do this heavy, but the Olympic lifts are about rep after rep after rep of perfection. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to bring up when you were talking about, you know, weeks or months with the bar. And we're in a society now where everybody wants to do things yesterday. You know, they want to start it. They want to be great at it yesterday. They want to start Olympic lifting and go right to a 250-pound snatch. The thing is, is, you know, it's okay to mess around with the bar and – if we mess around with the bar for 45 minutes, now we can go work hard and squat. It's not like you're just – that's all you're doing is going to be messing around with a 45-pound bar. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can spend 30 minutes honing your technique. Okay, we've done that. Now let's go squat a bunch. You know, you, you're not going to totally give up the easy – well, not really easy stuff, but the, the, the less technical things, the strength component. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get your technique work in. It's like, okay, now let's keep making you stronger. Um, no, that's a good point. It's so, not like you have to – you're going to go yeah. into every session like all I'm ever going to do is touch PVC yeah, pipe today. Not, yeah. All your, yeah. The only thing you're going to do for four months is touch a 45-pound bar. No, that's not it. You know, We can still do presses and pulls and chins and squats, and you know, but you're going to pay your penance and pay your time and try and do, do this right. That's like – I mean I'm, if you can't overhead squat a bar correctly, I'm sorry. You're not going to be able to snatch it. You know? Right. <laughs> the longer you stick with the bar when you start out – or, or very, very lightweights, is the higher your number will be when you start. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you just stick with the bar and you're hitting the reps perfect, perfect, but you're driving your squats and your pulls and, and all that stuff up at the same time, when you start, your first snatch with weight will be heavier than if you just try to add weight yeah. all the time, constantly adding weight. So, right. Plus, it's awesome to get like a 120 pound PR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So let's let me put this in very actionable um, terms here for uh, listeners. And Mike, if you want to jump in on this, by all means. But yeah. so you would suggest uh, doing uh, first of all, working with someone who's qualified so they can kind of follow the cues and watch you do this. But you would suggest that spend the first what, 20, 30 minutes at least of the session on the skill acquisition part with essentially no weight, then go do some strength work for another half an hour? Or, or I, I hate to try to pigeonhole this, but you know what I mean? Like actionable stuff. Um, so here's how, and, and it's actually funny because, so Grigor recently, one of our, one of, you know, our friends here you know, locally kind of started coming from powerlifting, so already had a huge base of strength and some decent mobility, but you know, obviously you want to put weight on the bar first. What I told him was, is like, 
come to the gym a little bit early. So obviously you should be doing some sort of warm up, like 15 minutes or so, and then spend the first 45 minutes or an hour just doing that as your warm up, right? Like you're just empty bar hitting the position over and over and over. And then when you go into your squats, like you'll be warmed up or deadlifts or whatever it is. It's just like you kind of plug it in for the the warm up, and it's just you keep doing reps and reps and reps. Mm-hmm. Yep. Depending on how long you spend in the gym, I would spend probably if you're wanting to get into weightlifting, I would spend fifty percent of your time just on that technical aspect, and then fifty percent on the strength. Depending on where your strength is at, if your strength is already like you're already squat four hundred pounds when you start, we don't need to spend as much time on that on most days be like 60 percent right you know if i can flip this around too uh, the opposite would be probably a bad idea in that if you do the strength work until you're exhausted then you go try to work on skill acquisition when you're in a very fatigued state i'm afraid you might be firing some incorrect motor patterns and that kind of thing does that make sense my pole vaulting coach years ago uh that's what he used to say lowry don't practice the skill when you're fatigued if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense to me that you could use it for a warm-up. But you know what I mean? If you wanted to actually keep your form tight and not form bad habits, I'm not sure you would want to do a lot of the skill-oriented stuff after you're exhausted from some some of the heavier strength work. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the only thing, the only caveat I would put to that is once you've done it for a little while, we would want, I mean, I'd probably say maybe close to a bodyweight snatch. The one thing I will say that helps... Um, for weightlifting is actually to do a heavier squat, squat only. Like before, that's like your first thing you do. You'll squat and then go into the snatches. But you don't want to go crazy with the squats either. But that's why it takes a little bit of, like you have to have some time in the game before that's the case. Right. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, yeah, you're doing, you know, just the bar or just very light weights for first 45 minutes to an hour before you ever do any of the heavier stuff. Right. Now, Mike, what do you think about this? I, that makes sense to me, right? You might want to potentiate a little with some of the strength work, but not fatigue. Yeah, that's kind of how I view it. I mean, I don't coach any Olympic lifting other than just extremely basic, you know, maybe a high pull or a power clean to someone who's never done anything like that. I mean, nothing to a high level at all. Um, but I do have a couple people that are uh, CrossFit, and they work with um, like an Olympic lifting coach at their gym maybe one or two days a week. And then I run kind of their their rest of their program. So I have them do that, obviously, first, you know, work with their coach there who can, you know, alter things and that type of thing. And then over time, which probably quite a bit of time, uh, like he was saying, if they are going to compete in CrossFit, which is a completely different thing, then I would have them add just a little bit of fatigue and then do some Olympic lifting. Because if they go to, say, you know, CrossFit Games or something like that, they're going to have fatigue there and then have to potentially perform Olympic lifts. But I think that's a pretty advanced progression. So for people who start, you want to make sure that, like you guys are all saying, that they're really good at the skill. I don't really want any fatigue associated with that, you know, pretty long rest periods, you know, really, really get your reps in at at good form. And then you can kind of slowly progress over time. Well, I mean, that, even breaking it down to basic strength training, I mean, dynamic moves in and of themselves are usually a great warm-up for max effort moves. Yep. And the vice versa is not true. You know? No. If I went and did a max deadlift and then I tried to, like, perform a maximal 
vertical jump, it's going to be uh, not good. So, <laughs> but. Okay, so another question that came up recently, uh, Jarrell, was uh, the use of weight, right? Uh, is there ever a situation where you feel like someone should have some weight on the bar to maybe – like it, let's say they're a little bit inflexible or they lack mobility in some way to help push them into position a little bit. Like if you work with a power lifter who's very thickly built, you know, uh, Phil, you can identify with this, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Some people, you get so heavily built that you almost need a little bit of weight to push you into the hole and feel the lift. Um, or do you not agree with that? Uh, I agree with that up to, I mean, for, I'd say up to like just the bar. I mean, I really wouldn't teach position with anything more than like 95 pounds. And so mm -hmm. the, the guy I just talked about, so Grigor, I, I told him to spend hours and hours with 95 mm -hmm. pounds. And that's just because he's strong. Yep. Most people will be with 45 um, or, you know, 20 kilo bar or 15 kilo bar, whatever that, I mean, whatever you're starting with. So honestly, the, the whole weight pushing you into position thing, if that's the case, I mean, you're already we're already dealing with some mobility issues mm. and you don't want your you know max effort snatches or cleans to be pushing you anywhere you want to be in complete control mm -hmm. and have a ton of rhythm and timing with those now pvc pipe is probably too light uh the only reason we use that there and that's the, the first thing we start with like that we'll do a warm-up with it and, and kind of do some movements with it but we won't stick with that very long you know we'll get you to a bar as soon as soon as we can so yeah otherwise yeah I, I don't i don't want it to be too heavy when you go into it but also pvc pipe is probably a little bit too too light mm -hmm. okay the bar is about just right yeah that makes sense to me because i mean phil like you can appreciate this too i mean if you're working with someone with extreme muscle mass mm -hmm. that alone can reduce range of motion in a way Oh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I Not mean, so much like inflexibility. And, yeah. And I mean, a lot of times I will move people to, you know, 30 kilos or 65 pounds just for the fact that, and that's the tens on the bar, the five kilo plates. Now the bars are the right height. <laughs> you know, and it's easier to start from four after we've done work from the hang and find positions and stuff like that. And then I've had people stay with that much weight for a long, long time. Um, or if it's a 15K bar, you know, it's even less. It's like 53 pounds. But, um, you know, that's like Logan, who's just starting. He's, he's 13 years old and been a, a heck of a power lifter for me. He just deadlifted 320 for three at, 100, oh. at 120 pounds. Oh, jeez. Um, you know, he's starting to learn Olympic lifts. So and for the last month and a half, he's done nothing on snatches but the bar and 53 pounds. And he went and hit a 103 last night, I think. So it was like, okay, we're going to finally go up. Um, because it, things were starting to look right consistently, you know, but all we did, he comes in and every day he's usually there four or five days a week for the first 20, 30 minutes. We're just working the clean and jerk, working the snatch work. And then, okay, it's deadlift time. It's squat time. It's press time. It's blah, blah, blah. So, mm -hmm. um, there's something to be said about, you know, I'd like to get some of those little plastic plates that are really light, but getting that bar in the right position on the floor, but it's still super lightweight, you know? So, and I think uh, maybe it was Dan John I got this from, but I think like the 45s and 25s rule would apply very well here. Like you want to be like super comfortable with 95 pounds 
before you start doing 135 for volume. Mm -hmm. I mean, just owning the weight and kind of learning the positions at first, it's going to be ideal. Eventually, those like one and two kilo PRs are going to add up. But Mm -hmm. when you first start start out, you want to be very, very consistent and comfortable at, you know, I'd say lighter weights, but weights you can control and hit the right positions in before you ever kind of step into um, wanting to hit like a a max or even if you go do a a meet, you want to be very comfortable with certain weights and hitting those Mm -hmm. 90% of the time without missing. And that's a thing people forget that's worth mentioning. I don't – like it means nothing that you have a 405 snatch, but it took you 27 tries to do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you're like that means you have like what's the percentage chance you know one out of 27 that at a meet you're going to hit that pretty bad odds yeah so you have to be very very consistent with the weights to do them at a meet you know you get you literally get three tries and that's it and you need to at least make one of those or you just bombed out so you know you don't go to a meet and do a load well i hit that once in the gym i'm going to do it no dude Right. <laughs> you need to be able to hit that eight out of ten times. Right. Not when you, know, you have whatever. a three and a half percent chance. <laughs> yes. So yeah, and, I mean, in that example, you had 26 times you taught your body how to freaking miss. Yeah. And I mean, and that's <laughs> one of the things about Olympic weightlifting. I mean, is is that I mean, you got to be consistent. Um, whereas usually in like squat and things like that, you're just not going to fail lift 27 times and try it again and get it. You know, usually it's it's a one and done, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I mean, you can see that Olympic list, like they'll try it and try it and try it and try it. And then I hit it and then they call it a PR and it's like, well, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. you know, usually for me, at least it's, it's a three strikes and you're out thing. Um, right. If you can't hit it in three times, we're done and we're moving on um, and we'll do lots of, okay, we're going to hit this. We're going for this for 10 singles. And if you miss more than three, you suck. Yeah, right. type of thing. <laughs> yeah, when, so. you, when you actually get into it without actually doing a program or anything like that, the best style of program is the type where, like, probably after three months you've been working with the bar, is starting to work up to a comfortably heavy set of two. Twos and threes are most important when you first start out. For like the first three years, your doubles and triples are more important than your singles. So hit like a heavy set of two and then drop to a percentage of that and do reps. 20 to 30 reps every training session or whatever that you're so if you snatch you would work up to a heavy double you would drop and do 10 doubles at you know whatever weight so 80 percent whatever whatever you can kind of take off the bar quickly and, and kind of get to it and work out a good clip because you know keeping that tempo up in training helps kind of stay in the rhythm of a the training session but it keeps everything connected if you take too long to rest weightlifting training it's like you not only do you get cold but it's just like your motor patterns aren't firing kind of the same so we try to keep people moving on a good clip or every minute on the minutes are like awesome as well <laughs> so if i can ask you this now i i know you're the co-owner of, of a facility drill but and maybe this would make you a little biased i don't know but can people attempt to start an olympic lifting program on their own, or do they absolutely have to have a coach watching them from the very beginning? Uh, a coach is going to be ideal, but it, it's possible to do it on your own. I, I would never t- – like, if the best situation, if you're like, all right, I want to train in my garage and then, you know, be an awesome lifter, is there's access to coaches through video coaching and things like that 
But get out there, do a training session or two with the coach, mm-hmm. and then practice those things and shut off the internet. Like, don't yep. post your videos on the internet because <laughs> you're going to get a thousand bad coaches and like you're going to have you know too many coaching cues to to even listen to. But, Confusing, huh? Um, yeah, I think it's totally possible to to get into weightlifting. Like say you had a garage gym or something, bought some plates. And that's literally how I got into it. I I went and did like a, there was a six week camp locally, and I wanted to learn, so I went there and it was like me and a bunch of kids really. But I was like, well, I want to learn the sport, so did that six week camp. Then you know there wasn't anybody that I knew about in Topeka at the time, so I bought my own plates and stuff, and I just kind of did the sport on my own. And like I would watch videos. Hmm and try to emulate it it's kind of a it's a longer process but at the same time i feel like i learned a little bit more a little bit faster that way but i also i didn't post anything on the internet for anyone to coach you know i i got in touch with like one coach and they told me to do this thing and then i just did that thing a lot <laughs> and that was it so i just practiced and practiced and practiced so there's there is a lot of merit to that like that path in and of itself and it these it's just lifting it's not rocket science here it's just start out be patient and don't don't turn it into like i know you can get the russian manuals and all that it's just that's over over complicating a lot of things yeah right yeah you know the guy that i was actually um listening to the other day in class the guest speaker that i had come in and i may have him on the show too but he was actually making a very similar point, even in the squat. Uh, one of the students' questions was about high bar and low bar squat. And he's like, you know, at first, let's just get someone in a comfortable position and just freaking squat, you know, as opposed to try to think about too many nuances all at once. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it might not be anything but confusion for an early person to have so many different kinds of instruction and cues. There's an old Zen saying about, you know, stop all your bargaining and just get with a program. Mm-hmm. And I think that almost sounds like what you did, Jarrell. Like you got with a coach, you know, and you could branch out from that. Phil, you've worked with all kinds of coaches, yes. but I imagine like some of the guys, when they were um, offering their tutelage, you just did what they wanted you to do. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's, I mean, even like me and Jarrell went down to Austin, I think it was last year. And, you know, he went into rips for the first time and he did exactly what a, a person should do, but also a good coach. You just forget everything, you know, when you go in somebody else's place and you try their shit, mm-hmm. you know, you listen and you do as they say, and that's how you learn from it. <clears throat> you know, even if it's totally different than what you normally do, then you're, you're going to get with them on their ground. You can see if this works, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and that's, it's annoying when, Especially as a coach, when you're working with clients, well, well, Jim says do this. Well, I don't care what Jim says. You know, if you want to work with Jim, go work with Jim. You know, we're trying to reach the same way, but our paths are a little different. And if you try and mix those two, then shit just gets muddy. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's no perfect path in weightlifting. Yeah. All countries have you know different people doing different stuff, and for for even the Russian dominance or whatever, like a lot of their best lifters never lifted inside their, you know training program they lifted outside of it with you know other people the thing is you're gonna have to start and then kind of close everything off like you have to get a system in place create a base and then start kind of launching off of that but you have to create that base so if you're like oh well i'm gonna wait to start weightlifting until i can find you know the perfect coach well shit you spent three weeks trying to find the perfect coach when someone else could have just started practicing Mm -hmm. like they're ahead of you 
So just get started. Like, get a bar, start doing some reps. You're going to fall on your ass a couple times. You'll be you'll be fine in the long run, but just practice and be patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just get started. You know, stagnancy, I think, would be the death of an Olympic lifting career. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, just go start doing something. Then maybe hit a workshop, uh, which reminds me. So what about the USAW certification? Is that the kind of thing that you guys would suggest you need to have a couple of months of just trying in your garage and falling on your ass, like you say, and that sort of thing? Or USAW certs are a good start. The, the thing is with the USAW is they're not exactly – they're not even as accessible as a lot of the other stuff that's out there. And, again, I think you can kind of get into like a confusing situation because the people who run it are there to run – you know, the information that they're given rather than the information they've come across, like mm-hmm. their own personal philosophies. Um, so the, the little camps that you can do with like Ma Strength, that's like the Chinese weightlifting guys. I mean, even the John North camp, like for all the things people kind of like, oh, John North's this and that. The one thing it will get you to do is turn your brain off, lift heavy stuff, and then just like shut everything else out. So there is merit to that in and of itself. He gives you a style, you run with it for a while and then see where it takes you. So any camp that's kind of local and around is, is a great one to get into. I mean, Donnie Schenkel will be here in Kansas in the next couple of weeks. Um, get into one. It's kind of the same as like finding a coach and they're out there now. This is a more popular sport. So you can find, you know, Kendrick Ferris does them. And, and chances are there's, you know, some weightlifting coach in some garage around you or working out of the back of some CrossFit gym, I can help you out. So it's not as, like, when most people started weightlifting, kind of when I started, like, there was little pockets of it everywhere. But, I mean, it was like, I mean, hell, it was hell finding anyone to do any weightlifting stuff because USAW doesn't, it's like they still don't recognize the Internet. Okay. <laughs> so they're not exactly the best with uh online stuff or promoting stuff online they've gotten better at it but i mean you'll you're more likely to find like an outlaw camp or you know one of those style of camps where you have you know some lifter come in or someone who's been doing lifting will come in and do the pretty much the same job almost and then give you some sort of programming to run with okay that but makes yeah, sense. Do, do them i mean if you can get it that's how that's the probably the best way to learn is to get around these these little different camps everywhere and see what everyone's doing the same. They'll all be doing the different stuff, but like there are some things that everyone does. It's almost the same, and that's the important stuff that you do. Right. So how would someone very start? Like uh, they're just going to Google Olympic lifting camp and then see what's local? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the best way to do this is I mean, if you're on Facebook or whatever social media, like, go like the CrossFit gyms pages because that's who like, that's the base of who everyone's marketing to now. Like, so weightlifting is marketing to CrossFitters. You're going to be able to see like, Oh, okay, well there's going to be a, you know, whatever camp is coming up. The weightlifting, weightlifting people around will make sure the CrossFitters know. So post it on their page and stuff like that. That's a good start. Google you like the outlaw camp is probably the most popular. I mean, you're going to get some CrossFit stuff in there with that, but a lot of it's weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have weightlifting camps with, uh, Jared Fleming kind of runs those muscle driver. They have 
camps. You can go there and kind of see what they're doing when they're doing it. What else is out there? I mean, you all are set one up with us. Give us a <laughs> there. You shoot, go. Shoot us an email. And we can set up a, a weightlifting camp for people. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot out there now. That it's it's almost kind of saturated now. Okay, so. If someone were to do this, are they going to get taught straight up Olympic lifting or are they going to get like a, a CrossFit camp? I mean, if a CrossFitter kind of a CrossFit box is going to put this on, are they going to be like, I don't want to say recruiting you to, you know, to join them in an ongoing way? But is the camp going to be specific to the Olympic lifts? Yeah, most of the time it is like the the only one I mentioned that isn't like that is the outlaw camp. And there will be some, but, like, honestly, the outlaw camp was all weightlifting and then, like, 10% CrossFit stuff. And they just oh. talked about it. They didn't, like, have anyone do it. Okay. But that's, like, that was, when I did that, it was, like, Spencer Arnold, who's a American Open champ before. He's always a medalist in the 69-kilo class. Um, so he was the one running it. So, of course, we're going to do a bunch of weightlifting. Like, and that's enough of a part of CrossFit that that's almost the central piece of every camp. And that's why you'll see, you know, Kendrick Ferris going going to different gyms or Donnie Shankle and any of those that are like, it's a weightlifter running it. It's all weightlifting, and you're probably going to lift a lot. Good to know. Okay. Well, guys, we are just about out of time, and I know we have a iffy connection here. So uh, thanks for joining us, Jarrell. No problem. Thanks for having me on. That was a good time. Everybody, yeah, Jarrell Barber, mm-hmm. uh, you are the co-owner of a CrossFit box. Can maybe just plug yourself a little there? <laughs> Yeah, I own uh, CrossFit Olathe. It's well, it's basically Kansas City, on the, the suburb of Kansas City. Um, I've been kind of in this in this business for three years, but I've been coaching for six or seven, something like that. I I did a lot more weightlifting stuff before I ever even kind of tripped into CrossFit. But uh, I've had medalists at the national level um, in weightlifting. Um, I actually recently have. Uh, some pretty good powerlifters kind of coming up the ranks, but we do a little bit of everything now. So, cool. uh, and if you're interested in any information, I do have a, a blog that I run at the CrossFitOlathe.com. I have uh, kind of host the strength field weightlifting stuff. There's a little bit of programming on there. I usually type a little bit of some every day. So, um, plus okay. I, don't, I don't do any of the powerlifting stuff on there, but so golf stuff will be coming with the strength field, mm-hmm. right? Like Jarrell said, drop us a line and you can have us out for a uh, seminar. So there that's you go. the so best strength way. Guild. That's by far the best way to learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just strengthguild.com or CrossFit Olathe. Olathe is being O L A T H E, right? Yes. CrossFit Olathe. Um, CrossFit as it is spelled generally, but O L A T H E. Olathe, right. anyone outside of Kansas calls it. <laughs> Dot com. Okay. Dot com. All right. And cool, guys. Well, until next week, then. Have a good one. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something 
to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.